I said earlier in the essay, and like I've got a very triggering sentence in there, which is most people think that Bitcoin's greatest contribution will be to lift the masses up and help the help the weak. Mm-hmm. And I say, while that will likely occur, but not for the reasons you think it will, it is my unpopular belief that the more important contribution and impact to mankind will be that Bitcoin makes the strongest stronger, the best better, and the most powerful more powerful Mm. and i even like you know qualify it with the next sentence i say i can already feel you squirming as you read that line (laughs) so please read it again and then allow me to clarify why this is good hey everybody welcome to the what is money show i am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money Now, if this is your first time listening to The What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Alexander Svetsky, welcome back to the Wells Money Show. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you again. I think this is your, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth appearance? Three or four, I think. I think Mark and I did a show or two with you. I think you and I have done a couple shows, so yeah. Nice. Well, we've got some new things to talk about today. Uh, we do. Just, just by way of quick introduction, you are an author and entrepreneur. Um, you co-authored the best-selling book, The Uncommunist Manifesto with Mark Moss, who you just mentioned. Uh, you're also the author of the upcoming book, The Bush- Bushido of Bitcoin. That's the one. And in 2018, you founded the number one Bitcoin Times collectible publication, which I've authored a piece in, uh, several Bitcoiners have as well. And you've also founded the world's first Bitcoin-only savings app, Amber. And you are currently building open source Bitcoin and artificial intelligence tools 
with the spirit of Satoshi project. Um, I don't up to a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few more things to add, but I thought, fuck this, this is that's that's enough for an intro. <laughs> yes, that is enough for an intro. And then if that's not enough for an intro, what we're going to talk about today is another piece of writing you have done, uh, and this one is in the Bitcoin Times Energy Edition, which is number six, I believe. Six. Number six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Can't believe that six years has gone past like that. Super cool. Um, really, some of the best writing I think in Bitcoin in those first five editions. So excited to see this Thank one. Thank you. Um, and the piece that you wrote for Bitcoin Times Energy Edition is titled "Uber Money: Nietzsche's Missing Ingredient." Um, so maybe before we jump in, could you just tell us a bit about the inspiration to write this for those that don't know a lot about Bitcoin's philosophical aspects? What in the world is the relationship between Nietzsche and Bitcoin? And then what are the, the dimensions we're going into? Obviously energy money addition, I assume we'll be talking about energy power. What else? Yeah, man. I think I've I've fallen down the Nietzsche rabbit hole uh, in the last in the last sort of twelve months, roughly. A, a mutual friend of ours, Rob Malka, uh, was the first one who said, uh, "Man, you should like totally go down the Nietzsche thing because like you already think like him, and he's like you know you fucking love his work." And this this was in response to uh, the remnant series of essays. Do you, do you remember those? Like I wrote the Remnant article, yeah, a couple of years ago. And that did the rounds. Was this a uh, fire teleportation Bitcoin? No, this was before that. So it was um it was the the premise of the article was Bitcoiners are the remnant, the masses don't matter. Oh, and yeah, it was yeah. in yeah, it was inspired by Albert Knox's piece, the um uh Isaiah's job. Mm-hmm. And and that was, you know, part of the premise of that essay was I said, look, you know, we, we've got to stop this whole masses pleb, like, you know, average man discussion and really start to understand that, you know, Bitcoiners are a unique set of people. And, and in particular, they are reminiscent of this archetype of individual that Albert Nock would have called the remnant or, you know, and, and that's a biblical term, right? It's the person, mm-hmm. it's the it's the archetype of person that remains after the catastrophe, after the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. And, and they're not, they're not just the lucky, they're the prepared, that they have a particular kind of spirit or uh, makeup or a character mm-hmm. that sets them apart from the masses. And, and the, the, the premise of the, um, the Albert Nock essay uh, in the 1930s was, it was this idea of do not waste your time uh, preaching to the masses because they're not going to hear and do not dilute your message in order to appeal to the masses. Maintain the signal and you will speak to the one out of 100 that matter because mm-hmm. that one out of 100 is going to be worth more than the other 99 because they're the doers, they're the movers, they're the shakers, right? And, you know, I've written this a number of years ago, and this inspired a conversation with Rob Malker and I. We were supposed to talk about AI actually back then, and we ended up just yapping on about Nietzsche. And that was my first sort of like real introduction, other than, you know, like everyone's heard a quote or two about Nietzsche, you know, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, you've heard Jordan Peterson mention a couple of things about Nietzsche, but nothing like in depth. And 
it was actually at the beginning of this year when I um when I was basically giving the the full push for the book that's coming out this year, the Bushido of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's coming out next year. Um, and the Bushido of Bitcoin is this like look at the what was the the virtues that made up the cultures that preceded the greatest civilizations of history, and what can we learn about those cultures. And the, what virtues must we inculcate if we want to succeed on a Bitcoin standard in the future? That's the basic question that I ask in the book. And as I went down that rabbit hole, it was like a full, it was a ancient history. Like, man, it was just so much fun writing it because I got to like study ancient Macedonian, Greek history, Romans, the, you know, the Faustian West, the Germanic West, the samurai, of course, you know, the, the Japanese. But I really, really, really found myself going down the Nietzsche rabbit hole, in particular inspired by a book by a lady called Lise Van Boxel. It was called War Speak. So war like going to war. So war speak. Mm. And it's an analysis on Nietzsche's work. And once again, Rob Malka uh, suggested that book. And, you know, as I went down this sort of Nietzsche rabbit hole, I just found something that basically echoed what I was writing back in Remnant a couple of years ago. It echoed this idea of this... Um, you know, the lemmings and the masses and, you know, the, the rise of the Ubermensch and like, uh, like basically the will civilization go down the path of equalitarianism and democracy and average, or will, um, you know, or what does it take to become uh, excellent, great, and, you know, Ubermensch is this idea of overman. So anyway, it echoed a lot of that. And I just sort of fell in love with his work and I realized you know, maybe what I was channeling with like the remnant work was like just some, you know, other ideas that have been uh, spoken about. And, you know, Nietzsche was fundamentally like different. He, he He's he's the kind of philosopher who just like, you know, if he was on, if he was alive today, and I said this on a couple of spaces, if he was alive today, he would be the ultimate Twitter troll. He'd be the guy like underneath the Twitter post just saying, dork, loser, you know, mm-hmm. you're fat. Like he just, when he came out, you know, you had all these like great philosophers of the, you know, the 1800s and, mm-hmm. you know, Europe was at its peak, right? It was the golden era, the Gilded Age. And like, you've had all these philosophers and, you know, sophistry and everything. And Nietzsche just came out and just said, you're a loser. You're mm-hmm. stupid. You're dumb. You're fucked. And he just like, but he didn't just like say it crudely. Like he, he had his crude bits in it, but he just like demolished them in his philosophy. And it was like, he was the most hated. And to this day, like he just triggers you know, the left, he triggers the right, he triggers conservatives and Christians and this and that and nihilists and everything. Like people don't know which bucket to place him in. And um, and I think that there's a, there's a few people who I do follow online that I think are able to kind of distill his work very well. But I've just, I just found like, it's such a nuanced, deep thinker here who's just, you know, he saw life as it is. Mm. And then, you know, challenged this idea of like, look, life is hard, life is suffering, but what's you know beautiful and special about life is that despite all of that, uh, humanity has this this spark, this will to power. That's his definition of will to power. It's like a life force that mm-hmm. can still surmount and overcome, and and that is what's special about humanity so anyway i've gone off on a on a tangent on a, a random rant here so to sum up basically this piece i believe is in some way an extension to the remnant series 
um, not a direct extension to it, but it's like a, it, it echoes the same ideas. Um, this and, and you know, really, what I wanted to focus on here was you know, quality, excellence, energy, power, mm. you know, high ideals, beauty, which is really something that Nietzsche tried to uh, represent. And he foresaw so much, like we'll go into this in this discussion, but he foresaw everything that was happening in the world today. Like as much as we think Ayn Rand foresaw it, he foresaw it 60, 70 years before yeah. she did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of like a, an ode to Nietzsche, this piece. Yeah, it's, he definitely was brilliant beyond his years. And he foresaw a lot of the catastrophes of the 20th century probably the probably the first one to see him coming right um uh, yeah he re really brilliant philosopher i he's he is uh well how would we say this idiosyncratic to say the least um perhaps borderline arrogant at times you know i've heard this that he i don't know if i'm, I'm paraphrasing this and it's secondhand so someone will have to check me if it's actually attributed to him but he said something like I can say more in one sentence than most people can say in a book. Yeah. And he described yeah. himself as philosophizing with a hammer and yeah. um, just a really kind of unabashed, shameless guy, and, but fucking brilliant. You know, he said a lot of brilliant things. I think he has a lot of very visceral takes on human nature and, and reality. Um, so yeah, just, he's, he, I would say he's not arrogant because he backs it up. Like he mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. he, he thought highly of himself uh, based on some of those lines, but he also backed it up. Um, and this, so there's this idea, you mentioned the remnant being kind of a biblical notion. There's this verse in the Bible that says that may, may be related to this. I'm not sure. The meek shall inherit the earth. But Jordan Peterson did a, uh, he analyzed the definition actually of meek, mm -hmm. the term mm -hmm. that it translated from in ancient Greek, I believe. And when you look at that term meek, it doesn't actually mean meek. It means something more like those who know how to use their weapons, but choose to keep them sheathed shall inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. And precisely the remnant. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of like the remnant, right? It's like these really badass skilled people that have, the capability of being violent when necessary, but choose to be rational and peaceful. Um, it's got, I think it, it resonates pretty well with what Bitcoiners I think aim to be, right? We aim to be sovereign individuals, which means that we have to have competence to be able to deal with, with serious situations in the world, but we're also trying to optimize for, for rationality, you know? Um, and, I'm thinking here too, the remnant, the other thing I recently, I've been doing this series on maps of meaning. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, one of the things that keeps coming up is how cultural transmission actually occurs through imitation. So when you're talking about, Hey, let's focus our message on the masses. You're talking about just kind of like yelling at the crowd or something. It really dilutes the message. Whereas if you focus well, it more like a laser beam on the few people that are imitated, that's actually the best way to propagate. Yes. Yes. So you yes. want to focus on, I don't know if it's 80, 20 rule, right? Maybe it's the top 20% of people are imitated by the 80%, something like that. Um, this just seems to be a much more practical way to 
to propagate cultural change. And it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it seems to be the way people actually work. Well, I mean, that's that's precisely how cultural change happens, irrespective of how much people try to avoid it anyway, right? Yeah. People, you know, and, and you've spoken about this. You you and I have spoken about this a couple of times, like the, the mimetic nature of culture, right? Like, you know, you th- these reflections happen and they sort of, you know, filter through. Yeah. But um, the... But what you said there about the signal and why this is really important is when you go and um, continually uh, dilute the strength of the signal or diffuse it, mm-hmm. you or, or you try and make it uh, applicable to everybody, right. you fundamentally have to like lower the quality of it. And as you do that, you you lose, I mean, you lose fidelity in the message. Mm-hmm. It, it become it becomes blunt. And sure, you know, you'll, you'll get a couple, you know, you, you get a larger audience of people who are just like, don't give a fuck and don't. And, and people get triggered whenever I say like, you know, the people that don't matter. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I say it in, in, in not in the sense of like, okay, you, they don't matter. So we should just go kill them. No, no. I just mean it as in like some people like ha- uh, enact or influence a degree of change that is far greater than others. And so long as you try and ignore that fact, you're just, you know, you're, you're ignoring reality. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot tell me today that uh, Joe Blow down the road has the same impact as Elon Musk. Just, right. It's not in the same fucking right. category. You know, like Alexander the Great, for example, fundamentally transformed the course of Western history. Like right. had it not been for him, we wouldn't have Rome. And had it not been for Rome, we likely wouldn't have had Christianity. Like th- these these cascading things occur because of outsized influence by, you know, what is sort of the idea of the great man theory of history, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, Jesus, what are those bubbles? What Balloons, I don't know where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try this again. Let me, I don't know, but this Zoom is like weird these days, man. Anyway. Um, that was like that reminded me of the Pride Parade the last time we did the oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. getting back. interrupted by that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so anyway, it's you, yeah, it, it comes down to who you want to speak to. And if you know, if you want to speak to the people who are not going to do anything about anything, then sure, go and dilute your message. Um, yes. but if you want to speak to the to the game changers, then you're gonna to have to keep your signal sharp. Yeah, it's not, again, it sounds harsh to say these people don't matter. We're not really saying they don't matter. I think what we're saying is, I'm just going to stick with 80-20, right? 20% yes, leaders, 80-20. 20% yeah. followers. 20% of people are acting as role models. 80% of people are acting as imitators. So all of, I think we're saying here is like, focus the message on the, the 20%. And that will cause it to propagate much better than if you try to dilute it and have it mm-hmm. uh, be resonant with 100%, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I want to get into the piece here. And I guess I would start one of my favorite Nietzsche quotes that I think uh, will speak to kind of maybe a Bitcoiner philosophy in a way here. He said something like, he who has a why can bear any how. So the higher your purpose is, or the higher your moral aim is, the more you're willing to do to to attain it, to achieve it. And um, this, I guess, in Bitcoin, you know, we the word power, which we're 
We're going to start here with a, an, uh, an excerpt about energy money, but then you we move directly from the term energy to the term power. And it's very important that I, I learned this recently. Socrates said, the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So I love that in this piece, you've really looked at the terms. You've looked at the etymology. You've defined them. Uh, it, it gives us good grounding for useful and fruitful dialogue. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people end up talking past each other, right? When someone's saying the word meaning one thing and they're hearing another, it just it's not useful. So power, I think, is one of these terms that is particularly problematic because most people's conception of power in the world today is political power, right? There are those that are in power and those that are not. And so there's this notion of power as being only arbitrary authority, but that totally dismisses the other dimension of power, which is the physics, right? The physical concept of power of energy per unit time. And I've always understood when Nietzsche writes about his will to power, I've understood it to be more of the latter, right? He's actually talking about physical power, that life is this system that's that's projecting energy per unit time. Uh, I think you said it's like a life-affirming um, process, something like that later in the piece. And that is a more useful understanding, I think, of what Nietzsche is saying. It's deeper, right? It's deeper than political power. It's something that that is just essential to life itself, whereas political power is something that's more unique to the the human animal. Um, so anyways, all that sort of background in place, I'll just read the opening excerpt to your piece. And the section is titled Energy Money. You write, quote, what is energy? It's not necessarily a substance or a thing, but more, as Drew Armstrong calls it in his piece on entropy, a quality, a capacity to do work. Nietzsche didn't directly define energy or conceptualize it in the way modern physics or even common parlance might have, but his idea of the will to power shares a similar essence. For Nietzsche, this will is the fundamental drive that underlies all human actions and those of the living, natural world. It is an energy in the sense that it propels individuals, societies, and indeed all life forward, driving them to overcome obstacles, assert their own existence, and flourish. It's a sort of metaphysical energy that constitutes the essence of life and governs its dynamics. So, um, you know, this, what are we saying here? Work, right? Well, I guess we should probably try to define work as well. Um, it is something that is a, to be alive is to be doing work or to be using energy. Um, and it's, it is something that is perhaps metaphysical in nature and that it's, it's, it's primary, right. To even be able to think or write or do any of these things, you're, you're harnessing energy, you're using energy. Um, may I could just, maybe I just throw it over to you for, your thoughts on the opening of this piece and and specifically on the nature of energy and work as it ties into the rest of uh the written work here yeah let's 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 actually talk about this this will to power and and drives so nietzsche talks about like how human beings are a bundle of drives you know you have this uh this drive to you know 
inexplicably you know want to just eat or to have sex with something or to you know roam territory you know you have this inexplicable need like for example I'm looking outside my window now and I see the beach and the sand and I have this drive or desire to go out there you know I have this drive or desire to uh, you know make money or to have nice things or to you know sleep in a nice bed to have a beautiful wife to create kids like you know you know to save the world you know to to do this podcast have this discussion to think about philosophy like you know we're, we're basically this ball of like drives mm. and it's very hard to kind of like um to understand you know what all of these drives are so so what Nietzsche des describes as the will to power is the 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 thing or the force or the life force that either aligns these drives if it's strong enough mm -hmm. or attempts to align these drives to whatever degree it can. And the greater the will to power, the greater the life force, the more all of these drives align and move in a direction and creates vitality. Mm. And that was Nietzsche's sort of argument is like the, the most alive thing is the most vital. And therefore, the most vital is the most moral. That is the highest of all things, right? Mm. It is the most alive. And this is, this is you know, where the misconception again, you know, about power and, you know, Jimmy Song and I have sort of had like some little discussions back and forth. And, you know, Jimmy's of the opinion that the will to power is the root of all evil. Right. And I'm like, I, I really don't think you get it, man. Mm. Like what, 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 what Nietzsche was talking about was not like, you know, just beating someone over the head or as you said, political power. Like it, mm. it is this channeling of energy and channeling of drive. So, so in the context of a human, it is the capacity to live in a, in a life affirming direction for lack of a better term here, right? Mm. And, you know, the to, 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 to touch on what you just said about, um, you know, power as this, uh, you know, unit energy over time, you know, work is a very similar equation. Um, I think it's uh, energy multiplied by time. Mm. Um, it's these things are all related. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're all fundamentally agnostic. They're not, you know, good or evil in and of themselves. But the capacity to channel them is a reflection of the, you know, the uh, caring capacity of life, mm -hmm. right? That that which can't that which can't do work, that which can't channel energy, mm -hmm. has no power, therefore has no life. Mm -hmm. And th this is this is where I get a little bit um, triggered whenever, like, I mean, you know, the, when I posted this on Twitter, you know, I had all the people, oh, but power is evil. And so I was like, for mm. fuck's sake, just mm. read the essay, please. Or like, just, you know, it's just, it's so surface level cheap when people sort of just like, oh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's just this kind of like leftist fucking talking point that's just been mm. said over and over again. And like, people are just like NPCs that don't understand, they haven't inquired to the, to the nature of this. And as you said, like, power is a, like... In the same sentence, someone will say proof of work, good, power, bad. Mm -hmm. Right. They're the same fucking thing. Right. Like it's it's that it, they are both reflections of of life and the the capacity to channel life. And you know we'll talk about this later uh, because it's later in the essay. But it's like it's it's not that power corrupts. It's that power corrupts the weak. You know. Yes. So power must be channeled and harnessed by somebody. And if those who are the meek, as you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. those who have swords but choose to keep them sheathed, or those who have swords know how to use them but choose to keep them sheathed, if they are convinced that they should not wield power, then they leave a vacuum for the uglies 
to wield power. And the uglies, for me, are defined as the parasites, the, the ugly political class, the non-producers, the moochers, and the looters, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this is really, really important to understand. This is something that Nietzsche was talking about years ago. He said the slave class, mm. the slave class convinced the masters, the original vital people, mm -hmm. that they should feel guilty about their capacity to channel power, their capacity mm. to produce beauty, their capacity to be great, their capacity to be excellent, mm. convince them to feel guilty about that, turn those drives inward and channel their own will to power against themselves and mm. bring themselves down. This is, if you look at what's happening in Western society today, it is eating itself alive because this drives have are no longer channeled by greatness or excellence, mm. they are eating themselves alive. And the West, mm. like I'm getting chilled down my spine talking about this, mm -hmm. like the West is eating itself alive because it has um, abrogated its uh, its claim or its, uh, its capacity to uh, channel energy and to have power. And, and I think, mm. I, I don't know, for me, this is so fucking profound. This comes before the debauchery of the money. Like and, right. and I and I say this in the essay. It's like it, it, the problems didn't start with the money printer. They started beforehand. We didn't just one day wake up and say, "Oh, we should print money." No, no, no. The, the culture was starting to decay. The cancer had started earlier. It had, you know, by the time we started printing money, things were all, like the wheels were already falling off. So, right. anyway, I'll, I'll pause there for a second. But th this is this is the essence of the will to power. It's not beating someone over the head, you know, blindly. It is it is the capacity for life. Yes, yes. And it, man, so difficult, right? When people get really hung up on a particular definition of power, as you're saying with Jimmy Song, the will to power is the root of all evil. Well, if he means purely political power, I would tend to agree with him to some extent, right? It's like the the desire to dominate, physically dominate and coerce and steal from other people, which is kind of the essence of political power. That's pretty close to the root of evil. But if we're talking about physical power, then there's no, it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's part of nature, right? It's amoral in a way, or like physical power, like the sun is burning. Is the sun moral? Is the sun immoral? No, the sun is just an expression of this will to power in a way, right? It's, it's energy well, per unit time. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's dangerous when we don't have a high resolution definition of a word. When you have a, a, What's the the term? Polysemous? Is that how you say the word? Where one word invokes two different meanings, basically? This okay. word power is just too low resolution, right? So people are saying it, Jimmy Song is saying it, invoking the meaning of political power. And I think other people are hearing it, your, yourself and myself included, saying, hey, wait a minute, there's also a physical dimension. So we need to properly define the term. Maybe we need two different terms, two different, or we just have to conditionalize and say there's political power and there's physical power. You wanted to say something though. I was going to say, let's even talk about political power and let me let me actually play devil's advocate for political power as a potentially moral uh, pursuit as well, right? Mm -hmm. or, or even, I, I, I even hesitate to use the word moral these days because I, you know, I, I feel like that's used as a, as an attempt to browbeat people into, you know, what I believe you should do, right? It's like, I think, I think virtuous is probably the better word and, and virtue in the sense that, uh, etymologically speaking, virtue is this, uh, this once again, this pursuit for heights or greatness, or you know, this this ability to conquer and conquest, right? So virtue is related to power in many ways, but political power. 
It is the capacity to uh, channel energy and have influence uh, over a territory, over a society, over an economic system. And the, I think to a large degree, this is where libertarianism uh, falls over is the fact that there can never be a vacuum of political power. There will always be uh, some level of political power in existence. Um, now, who knows how close we get to the libertarian ideal of a, of a small state. Um, this is why I guess I'm a little bit more of a, you know, Randian in that sense, you know, where she was like, look, you know, the, the, the there needs to be a concentration of, you know, uh, monopoly on violence, etc. Like to have some sort of order, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, where, where I'm getting at with this is, you, you've got. Let, let me use an analogy. You've got two types of people that are likely to win a boxing match. You have the the strong, great, skillful, powerful person who goes and trains the Conor McGregor archetype walks into a ring and, you know, genuinely beats the other guy because he's better, because he's more powerful, he's more skillful, he's more fast or whatever, right? And may the best man win. You have the other kind of fighter who is the one who will ensure that his opponent's, uh, you know, water got spiked with something so that he has blurry vision. And, you know, he ensures that he wins, not because he's better, but because he was... Uh, he managed to win by cheating, essentially, mm. right? He managed to rig the game in his favor. And what we have in modern civilization, this is how uh, modern, um, how can I say, political infrastructure has developed, is that you have a playing field whereby the weak man or the parasitic man uh, is able to amass political power, not because he wants to be the best or because he wants to, um, you know, like the Medicis, for example, build Florence into the most incredible, uh, you know, city that, you know, they built these cathedrals and this, you know, the, the uh, what's their um, palace called, the Uzi or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. Like you, you have that kind of great man archetype. Mm -hmm that is able to you know channel political power and create civilization because they want humanity to reach higher and you have the other kind of political animal which is the parasitic class mm. who just wants to suck suck mm. everything they can out of the system mm. and what's really important is for the former once again not to shrug the duty mm -hmm. of channeling and acquiring political power so that and, and this is why i have so much respect for someone like Millet. Millet is the former archetype you can see it in the fucking passion in his words when he fucking describes something mm -hmm. when he you, you know when he's talking about you know the leftists of fucking mierda and they're stupid and they're mm -hmm. dumb and you know we need to like bring this country back and the greatness of you know argentina and all this sort of stuff you see it in his energy he mm -hmm. is a politically powerful individual but aiming for a higher ideal and is not interested in just micromanaging and sucking the capacity out of his constituents. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and that is the kind of archetype we need. Like Bukela is another example. Mm -hmm. He is, he like, I mean, on I, I love what he's got in his um his Twitter bio now, you know, philosopher king. 
It's mm-hmm. based as fuck, you know, like the, mm-hmm. these archetypes are the people who need to be wielding power. So it comes back to what I said earlier about power corrupts the weak, not the strong. Mm-hmm. And we have conned ourselves over the last hundred years. It's the it's the greatest psyop. We have been convinced to turn this inward drive, this inward will to power. We've been converted. Sorry, sorry, I should say we've been convinced to take this will to power and turn it inward and be guilty and aim it at ourselves and destroy ourselves. Mm. We are the ones who built fucking civilization Mm. and we need to recognize that. And that's the kind of person who needs to rise back up again and just push these parasites out of the way. Like Christine Lagarde and your fucking Klaus Schwab's and all these like Malthusian, uh, you know, end of worldist, you know, brain in a vat type bug men. Like they need to be, honestly stomped on there's no other fucking there's no other solution for these people and this is what the great men of old did this they 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 managed to like keep the um the the integrity of their civilization intact because they had a particular north star of excellence greatness etc versus Mm -hmm. equalitarianism the masses acceptance open borders etc i mean it's the same fucking story you look at rome why rome fell it was the same kind of infection that happened in there is the same sort of infection that inward um yeah. uh degeneration of this exactly exactly yeah. so so anyway this is why so it's like it's not it's not even as clean as political power is also evil it's not it's like the 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 direction even of political power matters mm-hmm you know, and what 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 is that political power driving people towards? Is it driving people mm. towards going for the stars, or is it driving people towards arguing about their place in the dirt? Right, like this right. is from Interstellar, right? Like we yeah. used to we used to look at the stars and you know try and argue about our place there. Now we argue about our place in the dirt. Yeah. The, the political power needs to be upward. It needs mm. to be life affirming. It needs to be vital, not death. Fucking yeah. like. I think we need. I mean. I think there's even another decomposition of terms here where you have, I've heard political power described in the positive sense as the ethics of distributed cognition, right? It's like the rule of law. It's like, what, how should we be, you know, um, moral intuitions, things like this. I'm okay with that, right? That's based on consent, right? People are consenting into this political order or opting out basically. But there's this other version of political power as arbitrary authority, right? Mm-hmm. Follow this law or else, which is based not based on consent. It's based on coercion. So maybe we have to decompose consensual political power from coercive political power. And I think the relationship to physical power is that when you have an asymmetric capability of projecting physical power, all of a sudden you you give rise to coercive political power, right? The example I always like to talk about is if you sent a guy back in time, maybe to the 1500s with an Uzi and enough ammunition, right? He'd have more power projection capability than almost anyone on that planet at the time. He would pretty quickly rise in the ranks of political power, right? He, he would just be able to overthrow kings and armies and all kinds of stuff. Um, so what can we do to minimize the rise of coercive political power is to try and have as much to create a symmetry of power projection capability, right? And this is kind of what that minimizes politics in a way. There's the saying that an armed society is a polite society, right? Mm -hmm. When everyone's armed, 
well, you're not going to have a mass shooting, for instance, because once someone starts shooting, the guy gets fucking shot. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so technology, at least when it's diffused enough into society, can be an equalizer of physical power projection. And when you equalize physical power projection capabilities, I think you minimize coercive political power. That seems to be a net benefit. That seems to be a net good. And it doesn't disqualify the existence of consensual political power where someone is like naturally, you know, the best, right? He's the old wise guy or he's the rich guy or he's from the family that's been looked up to for generations and people just sort of naturally fall in line behind him consensually. Like, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Humans are hierarchical. I think we'll always be that way. What I'm not okay with is when the guy on top, actually the guy anywhere starts to coerce another guy into doing something they otherwise wouldn't. That does that. That's where libertarianism is correct in my estimation. And it gets complicated though. Cause like you said, okay, what do we need to do with the current weak people inside the course of political hierarchy? You said, I think we need to stomp on them. I don't actually know. I don't know yeah. because I always go back to the lyrics, opening lyrics of one of my favorite songs it says, there is no political solution to our troubled evolution. Have no faith in constitution. There is no bloody revolution. It's like once you stomp on the 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 pinnacle or the apex of the current course of political hierarchy and you remove Christina Lagarde, Bill Gates, whoever, Klaus Schwab, you've just created a power vacuum in that hierarchy that someone else is going to fill. Some other psychopath is going to fill that. I think what we need, what seems to be to be more useful is to try and devitalize or deconstruct the coercive political hierarchy entirely such that there's no vacancy to fill. Um, and that's where I think, you know, Bitcoin's very valuable, obviously, right? You, you're actually defunding these coercive political hierarchies by taking away inflation as a revenue option, making taxation more difficult. Um, so well, if I was going to throw it back over to you, I would ask actually, isn't it the weak man that's able to amass political power? It's not like he's doing it because he's out there kicking people's ass. It's because we've built these institutionalized coercive political hierarchies that someone can weasel their way into. And now you have a guy like Klaus Schwab that anyone like a teenager could kick his ass, but he, here he is, you know, exerting a very negative influence on a coercive influence on the world by virtue of the the position he occupies in the hierarchy. So w- wouldn't it be better to just deconstruct these course of political hierarchies and maybe try and build up consensual political hierarchies? Totally. I mean, this is, you know, I grapple with this for 50 or 100 pages in the in the Bushido Bitcoin, um, where I try and like ask the question, like, you know, really, really, really like, I don't want to just say Bitcoin fixes this, like, how like what 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 influence does it have like you know can we eliminate cycles should we eliminate the the cycle of civilization like you know because there there needs to be you know from from at least from where i stand like everything universally works through revolutions and cycles and revolution not in the uh you know the modern idea of social overthrowing something yeah Yeah, exactly like i mean even the word revolution is something like i i and I spent so much time on philology and etymology in the in the Bushido book, but like you know, the word revolution traditionally traditionally meant 
uh, stable orbit around something. Re mm -hmm. Revolution was sort of co-opted by the Bolsheviks as this right. idea of overturning something. Right. That doesn't actually work that way. Right. Like that's not the that's not the etymological uh, roots of the word. To revolve <laughs> you know, just, rather than overthrow. Yeah. To, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so so anyway. Um, so you're right in the sense that you know we need we need um, we need checks and balances, and this is where something like Bitcoin being an economic beast, because you can't really separate politics from economics. You can't like politics is the capacity once again to channel power in some dimension, mm -hmm. and what else, or should I say, many dimensions, mm -hmm. and one of those dimensions, in fact. Probably the most significant is the economic dimension, mm. and so purchasing when, power is political. Then you're saying it, it really is. It really yeah. is because, like, what 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 does politics try and essentially do? Is it's it's a it's an attempt to get you know a group of people to decide where resources and things like that should be allocated and what decisions should be made. Like resources are fundamentally economic, like energy is economic, like what people do with their time and stuff is economic. Mm -hmm. So when we, when we look at that, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, and, and a lot of people say, oh, Bitcoin is apolitical. No, 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 Bitcoin is political. And I would take Eric Kaysen's side on this, right? He says Bitcoin is a political animal mm -hmm. in the sense that it's an economic animal, which creates a, you know, I, I always say this, it's like Bitcoin exists, in, you know, with time, energy and the physical laws of the universe. That's the whole fucking point of it. And what human beings do is we orient ourselves around the things that are universal laws. We like the, the best of us figure out how to use our time more wisely. Right. Mm -hmm. The best of us figure out how to channel the limited energy we have or the amount of energy we have to, to maximize our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst of us squander our time, squander our energy, you know, jerk off on fucking Pornhub, like whatever we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you have a difference in the results of the kind of lives that people lead based on how they orient themselves around these fixed things. Bitcoin will act as one of these fixed things. Mm -hmm. So those who orient themselves around this thing in a mm -hmm. particular way will be able to once again channel power and including political power. And you know, my my, my big question in the book is I say, okay, if Bitcoin's going to win, who the fuck do we become as a civilization? Do we become just another pack of like parasitic parasites parasitic like yeah. elite who try and like suck wealth out of the system? Right. Because that can still happen on a Bitcoin standard. Maybe the feedback loop is shorter, um, but, you know, that, that could still happen. So we still need to figure out a way to behave. You know, the alternative is we could become like Richard Hard just buy Louis Vuitton fucking jumpsuits and Lamborghinis and just be a bunch of degenerates. Um, or we can seek to become men and women of virtue. And it's like, what are the virtues that we should seek to inculcate? And these virtues should help define the, um, the order and the hierarchy of a uh, of a territory. But once again, as you sort of said, is Bitcoin acts as this kind of check uh, or this kind of economic check or balance on the system such that the kind of character who would seek to attain power not by merit or not by leadership or not by the capacity to channel energy, but through theft, mm -hmm. through uh through uh, obfuscated coercion, that kind of a character will fundamentally fail. And mm -hmm. that's the big fucking change for me. That's the big difference, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. you know, I, 
Yeah, I think then we, you know, uh, I'll make one more note just about authority. I was uh, I was having a Twitter sort of back and forth with someone uh, last week about. Um, oh no, it actually wasn't on Twitter. It was with uh, Walker from the crypto crypto couple. He was talking about authoritarian, authoritarian. I was like, look, let's. I I, I want to truly say to take some words back, right? Like elite, I think we should take that back. Um, power, we should take that back. You know, yeah. we should also take authoritarian back. Mm-hmm. I think having an authoritarian society is a great thing. And hear me out. You have the word authority comes from competence, comes from mastery. It is the it is it is what what's implied in authority is proof of work, really. Like it's the we'll ten thousand hours. He, he's the authority on the subject, right? You're invoking Correct. he's the most competent in that domain. Exactly. That is exactly what authority means. So when you have something operating in an authoritarian format, it means there is a functional hierarchy. It is the the master and his emissary. It mm-hmm. is the you know the the master and the apprentice, right? Mm-hmm. Totalitarian, on the other hand, mm-hmm. is the bureaucratic micromanaging mm-hmm. fucking middle management type of like we need to see everything you do we need to know everything you do because we need to control everything you do and it's like this kind of desperate ugly method of like operating things whereas mm-hmm. authority is structurally sound and hierarchical it's, it's how we got here as human beings right sure. <laughs> you know we had these hierarchies of authority and competence yeah. so so anyway i i believe that bitcoin will move the world back towards more functional authoritarianism not fiat authority which you you kind of alluded to this previously it's like fiat authority is arbitrary authority it's just like i have authority not because i have authority but because i said so right all right cool cool story bro like you're an idiot exactly exactly so yeah so much to say there i want to get this out and then i want to read another excerpt of your piece because we're we're trailing but this is good so i would okay bitcoin to me is apolitical in the sense that it resists arbitrary rule changes, right? Mm-hmm. AKA fiat. Uh, we're going to do this now because I said so, right? Mm-hmm. There's none of that in Bitcoin. There's no one that's like changing the rules of Bitcoin because someone said so. It's it's pure social consensus, right? So um, it's ideal in that way. And as you were describing politics as getting a group of people together to decide how to allocate resources, well, what does that look like in a Bitcoin world, you have Bitcoin getting a group of self-directed individuals together that are deciding where to allocate into where to allocate their resources individually, right? Because there's not they're not facing as legitimate of a threat of coercion as they are in a fiat standard. So people are more self-directed. And then the 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 net the collective outcome of that is one of these consensual political hierarchies rather than a coercive political hierarchy. So I would say that yes, Bitcoin is political in that sense. It's disruptive to coercive political hierarchies and enabling of consensual political hierarchies, right? So that's a so it's again, we're kind of trapped in the the word political here. It's like, what do you actually mean by that? Mm-hmm. And then on the term you brought up authority, uh the other etymological root of the word authority is author. Right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to author something, to write something, and so on a Bitcoin standard, we're talking about self-authoring individuals. You know, you mentioned masters and apprentices. Well, mat- masters and apprentices are bound by their common endeavor, their work, and consent. Right, the master is willing to transmit knowledge and culture to the apprentice mm-hmm. in exchange for labor. 
then mm-hmm. the apprentice is willing, consensually exchanging his labor for the transmission of, uh, you know, expertise, basically knowledge yeah, that yeah, he'll use. Yeah. And, and that's how it worked. So that's all good. Right. But it's, but the key word that always comes back to me is just consent. It's like, we need as much consent as possible to exist as rational human beings. I don't think there's many ethical, if any ethical justifications for uh, the elimination of consent. And then on your point about the rules, fixed rules, I agree to this. Players are adapting to the fixed rules of any system, right? So the best of us learn how to manage our time. We learn how to deal with economic scarcity. We learn how to work with gravity, you know, individual self-interest. There's all these constants in the game. And we, as the players of the game, have to adapt ourselves to the constants because the constants or the invariants don't adapt to us. So yeah. we are the variables that have to adapt to the, the invariables, something like that. And Bitcoin is one of those, right? 21 million fixed. And so you would expect that Bitcoin would prevent, let's say, parasitic elites, because I know we want the word elite back. We want people to be elite and competent. That's good for the world. It would prevent parasitic elites from rising to power because it's lowering the profitability of coercion itself, right? It's just harder to steal and it's impossible harder to cheat, inflate. Yeah, cheat harder to cheat, cheat. Yeah. right yeah, yeah you've got a game with with fair and fixed rules so okay that was all my uh take on that if you are a business owner or manager you should know these three numbers 36,025 and one 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to netsuite by oracle NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technologies. iCoin has released a free software update for all existing wallet holders that includes a secure messaging feature called Chamber. With the Chamber upgrade, you can send text messages with all the security benefits of a cold device. With wallet-to-wallet encrypted messaging, there is zero chance of a message being decrypted by a snooping third party. Chamber's encrypted messages can only be created and read on an iCoin wallet, which means messages are never seen in plain text on a hot device. You can use any messaging platform to send chamber encrypted messages. Even if the messaging channel is compromised, your messages will remain uncrackable. You can now generate and store your message encryption keys on a cold device. This means you become the central authority and your encryption keys are never seen on a network connected device or kept in cloud storage by a third party. So why not protect your private communications like you protect your Bitcoin private keys? Pick up a few iCoin chambers today for friends, family, and coworkers. With the iCoin Chamber, your privacy is built right in. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet.
All right, jumping back into your piece, Uber Money, and now I'm going to read the second excerpt, which is still from the first section titled Energy Money. You write, quote, Bitcoin is money that in many ways resembles the kind of quality that energy is. Both energy and Bitcoin are conservative, i.e. cannot be created nor destroyed, have a direction and relationship to order and entropy, have absolutes, zero being the asymptotic minimum for energy, and approximately 21 million being the asymptotic maximum supply of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been called energy money for a reason. It has its own will to power, its own direction and heartbeat. Not only does the concept imply something that's in some way alive, see Gigi's proof of work essay from 2020, but it also implies truth, soundness, and universality. You cannot fake, decree, or ignore energy. Vaclav Schmiel, one of the greatest physics and engineering minds of our time, called energy the universal currency because it serves as the fundamental unit that powers all interactions, processes, and transformations in the universe. Bitcoin has the power, pun intended, to do the same in the more abstracted world of human civilization. With it, we enter a new age, one where energy is increasingly channeled, harnessed, and mastered. I mean, just one of the... I really love this passage, because it's you've expounded you, upon... <laughs> Bitcoin as energy money and really the nature of energy itself. Is it, do you think we are engaging in a rhetorical flourish when we say something like, you know, before Bitcoin, only time and energy exhibited absolute scarcity? Do you think that's a rhetorical flourish or analogy in some way? Or is that, are we saying something actually? profound and truthful about the nature of Bitcoin energy and time. No, I think we are. I mean, the the whole fire Bitcoin teleportation thing that I did a couple of years ago, right? That was the whole premise of it. It's like this is this is fundamentally different. Like the the analogy that I used, I think back then or that I've used on maybe one of our conversations or something is like up until now, we've been like a, a bunch of blind people building a house with an elastic tape measure. And somehow the house is hanging together. Like, I don't fucking know how it hangs together. Like when I walk around and like, I used to, I, I remember when I first came to Brazil in 2021 and I was like, dude, I was, I was lining up to hire a car and the line was so long because everybody had to stand six feet apart, wear a mask. And like, there was only one person allowed to pick up a car at one time. And I was like watching the video screen and they're like, they were showing a video of like how in the background, whenever each car was delivered, there'd be people in hazmat suits, like cleaning out the car. And I was just sitting there like, mm. how in the world does society function? Like, like how much time and money and energy is being wasted right now? I was like, mm. literally like it was baffling me. I remember like writing this tweet. I'm like, civilization needs to like fucking just die. Like already, like, what, what are we doing here? And like when I think about that, like it's it's basically the blind people building the house with an elastic tape measure. I, I have no idea how with all the wastage that we have, things are still kept together. Now with Bitcoin, you eliminate wastage across multiple dimensions. So it's like, you know, there's always this talk about, you know, Bitcoin uses energy. And like, first of all, people, you know, conflate use with waste, right? Yes. Use is great. Waste 
is not so great because you don't want to waste things. Like, but you know, there's always going to be wastage. That's just the fundamental nature of existence. Yep. You're not going to you know use everything to its entirety. But we look at waste and we look at the current system, and and this is like the ultimate argument about like Bitcoin energy usage or wastage is. First of all, fiat. In order for you and I to go and buy a coffee down the street, right? We we get our Visa debit card, we tap on the terminal, and we're like, okay, I got my coffee. It it looks simple enough, right? Mm -hmm. But what has to exist for that to occur? Well, the Visa and Mastercards need to exist. Um, not I'm talking about the the physical things. You need the terminals. Then the terminals need to be plugged into. Um, multiple layers of like uh, settlement providers, merchant facility providers, mm -hmm. the Visa MasterCard network, mm -hmm. for those things to exist. I don't even want to guess at how many employees Visa, MasterCard, and all the payment processes and merchant facility providers have. Mm -hmm. Imagine just the buildings that they operate out of, all the computers and the lights that are on, like how mm -hmm. much energy that uses. Then you need all the banks and all the banking infrastructure and the payments mechanisms. Then you need the central banks. Then you need the judicial system to kind of keep it all in check. Mm -hmm. And then you need the um, the military industrial complex. And that's just for America. Like then we've got Brazil, Latin America, Europe, China, Asia. Like, man, the amount of fucking money and time mm -hmm. and energy that's wasted just so we can use our Visa debit cards is mind boggling. Like, yeah. whereas... Bitcoin converts electricity into a monetary network that does payments, issues money, and gives you a unit of account. Yeah. Like done. It, it is like the shortest pathway between the energy required yes. versus the end, uh, right. the the end utility. Right. Yeah. Like it's direct. So that's like one layer. Then you have like the other pieces, which are a little bit harder to uh, to quantify, but you have the um the fact that under a uh, a fiat money standard where money becomes cheap and easy and we'll talk about this in the next section is that you incentivize consumption and more often than not you incentivize poor consumption you know mm -hmm. people just buy shit that they don't need and you know there's like not, not only like stuff that they consume like by eating you know 10 pounds of cheetos every day but like plastic shit that they just don't need because we're not interested in quality anymore we're just interested in quantity so you have this excess amount of consumption that is mindless at this point mm -hmm. um which is driven by the fiat money standards so so you have excessive wastage there which creates pollution which creates plastics in the oceans and all these other problems and then thirdly is you have misallocation of investment or malinvestment as the austrians uh call it which is instead of us like figuring out i mean we had the concord 30 40 years ago and you know we stopped you know building good planes and shit like that we're still using 1950s technology basically and like the quality of service is just like plummeted you know it's like a it's an absolute nightmare flying these days even if you fly business you get treated like a piece of cattle mm -hmm. so like we we are not innovating we're not building anything new we can't even like build cathedrals or beautiful architecture anymore but hey we've got a thousand trading apps We've got a million dick pic apps. We've got a new social network every couple of years. We've got things that don't matter. Like all of the intellect is going towards Wall Street and Silicon Valley building pointless shit um, that doesn't matter. So it's like if you look at wastage, you know, coming back to what we said in the beginning is like, you know, Bitcoin is like sound energy money and it represents 
you know, the complete opposite to building a house by blind people with an elastic tape measure, we will actually have the capacity to build a structure with sight because Bitcoin gives you feedback. It gives you sight visibility yes. into what you're doing with a fixed tape measure because the fucking thing doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And the quantum of difference between those two types of civilizations, one mired in waste mm -hmm. versus one where there's actual calculation able to happen, where there's a direct correlation between action and cost and price and consequence mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff. I think to, to as a long way of answering the question, I don't think we're exaggerating. I really think this is a paradigm shift. It, it's it's just different. It yes. doesn't doesn't gel. It's it's completely different. No, it's well said. It's almost like economic perception either didn't exist or barely existed prior to Bitcoin, um, and it's hard to imagine what it will look like, unintended to have economic perception work. Right? How much that will change the world. Um, all right, I'm going to read another excerpt here. It's a little further down. You wrote that the next stage of our civilization, the next stage our civilization now embarks upon is the age of energy money, one in which the means by which we measure action, time, energy, and resources is quantitatively fixed. So there cannot be arbitrary easing. One where quality, not equality, is the North Star so that excellence, nobility, honor, and all of the virtues necessary for such a civilization to prosper are rewarded. So again, I, and I've said this before, I think if there's one thing Bitcoiners would agree on, it is the, 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 the primacy of the importance of incentives, that incentives drive human action, basically, you know, all, all if not the strongest, it's probably the strongest motivational force in the sphere of human action would just be actual incentives. And um, I think this excerpt here also highlights a really important point that quality and excellence, these things are mutually exclusive with equality, right? When we talk about equality of outcome, you cannot that that's what excellence means right to excel like one uh feat uh or one work effort excelled another right one project excelled another one athlete excelled another in a, in a performance that is mutually exclusive to the idea of equality of outcome at least so and i think we've talked about this before too that you want again another one of these tricky words equality just sounds just and fair you want equality in that everyone's playing by the same rules, but you want inequality of outcome, right? You want some people to excel and we want to learn from those that are excellent and imitate them. And we want other people to not excel and learn from that too. Like this didn't work, that does work. And then again, we transmit that cultural knowledge forward through imitation. So it's not, I don't think it's any coincidence that we've become so obsessed with socialism and equality of outcome and 13th place trophies in fiat world. And presumably Bitcoin would be the inverse of that, right? That we actually celebrate achievement. We celebrate excellence and quality once again. And um, the goods and services we produce in that world should reflect that. Yeah, I mean, this we can tie back into what Nietzsche's uh, argument was back in the 
1800s, right? In the late 1800s, is he's like, you know, people often forget once, and we said this at the beginning, he was writing at the peak of Western civilization, the Gilded Age, the Golden Age, like, you know, the Europeans thought they could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. And he, he sensed this cancer infecting Western civilization. And, you know, he, you know, to kind of like grossly, grossly paraphrase uh, his work, but, you know, his, his premise was that this equalitarian democratic ideal of like the, the average man, um, or the average outcome, um, you know, he he saw the participation award coming a hundred years before, you know, even anyone thought about it. It's like mm-hmm. where this is going to lead civilization is to what he called the um, the age of the last man, mm-hmm. and he defined sort of the last man archetypically, archetypically speaking as what we would today call the NPC or the lemming, mm-hmm. right? So his his uh, concept of the last man is the, the, the cynical individual who despised excellence because they wanted to just tear everything down to be equal and average and like them you know they, they were they were the kind of person who hated glory and heights you know they hated excellence and you know you mentioned the excel before as kind of like etymologically uh you know what it means in terms of excellence but mm-hmm. if you go deep if you go back to the proto-indo-european root of the word mm-hmm. um you know, it comes from egg and salaire, and in there is the the premise of a mountain of heights, right? So to to be excellent means to climb a mountain, to separate yourself mm-hmm. from the average, from the baseline. Mm-hmm. So it it's fundamentally means a separation, mm-hmm. and and this is sort of like um, you know Nietzsche called it the pathos of distance, right? Like the the separation from the masses, from the last man, and I guess. You know, where I'm going with this is like we, you know, he, he foresaw the the orientation towards quantity and equality as the source of the cancer of the West that would basically dissolve it, turn its drives inward, you know, and kind of like basically destroy the um the the greatness of what had come. But he also, as a you know, glimmer of hope for us, said that. Through that destruction, um, through that de-evolution, will spring uh, the Ubermensch, mm. the, the this new archetype. And and maybe we'll talk about this afterwards because um, I don't know if it's exactly relevant to this piece right now. But like the Ubermensch was this um, this archetype of being or this archetype of individual um, mm. who would basically represent like a character would represent the highest potential of man or the next iteration of man mm-hmm. um and i mean fuck it we're here now let me let me do, do you want me to explain the ubermensch piece yeah now? i would love that because yes because okay. i don't know much about this okay so people people are often uh confused like they, they sort of thought of the ubermensch as like this one person who's going to come and lead the world out you know like the you know the christ figure and and i, I don't believe that's what nietzsche was trying to um, talk about i think he was speaking more about an archetype right and by way of illustration i'll, I'll say it this way is when i wrote the remnant series again last last couple of years um in i believe it was the second edition of those essays or the third i made a joke um, and I talked about the bifurcation of, of, of the human species into Homo hystericus, 
-hmm. and homo bitcoinicus right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you'll have these two people you know one takes the path of like wearing six face masks locking themselves up in the room you know watching netflix all day eating cheetos and getting on a you know on a subscription medicine you mm -hmm. know injection right mm -hmm. whereas the other ones are going to up on the path of like sovereignty owning their own money eating meat getting sunshine having babies like drinking raw milk and like building these like great descendants right and i was like we are literally going to bifurcate and that that archetype of different person is literally what or maybe not literally but like conceptually speaking what nietzsche was talking about in terms of like the homo hystericus is the last man mm -hmm. homo bitcoinicus is you know the the ubermensch is like mm. he, he he it's important to, to understand like it, it's not someone that just pops up out of the shit it's a it's a project mm -hmm. of honestly like selective breeding like the ancient kings used to do like you know these days you know people are so triggered they're like oh that's eugenics it's like mm. well yeah sure i mean we you know we are eugenicists with our horses and everything like that there's nothing wrong with like you know th there's a reason we have a drive like as a male you want mm. to marry a beautiful woman mm -hmm. like you know it, it's because fundamentally deep 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 down inside you have a drive to breed with the best possible person Right. Of course, you, yeah. you you want to create the best genes and pass that forward. And you know Nietzsche Nietzsche's idea of the Ubermensch was through a period of conscious breeding, conscious like passing down of wealth, of intelligence, of you know of um of virtues, of of upbringing, of all of these things. What will occur is an archetype of individual that is fundamentally different to that which he is surrounded by and he will set a new standard for humanity or and when I, again when i say he i mean mm. the archetype it could be many of these like mm. and you know the, the like i almost envision like a future rubermensch being a blend of steve jobs and alexander the great mm. like that's kind of the if you could picture that coming together someone who is a creator conqueror um, you know, leader and visionary, all of this sort of stuff combined into one and has the vitality to channel energy power and everything like that and direct it towards greatness and excellence. And, and that's that's what I believe Nietzsche sort of meant by the Ubermensch. And he just said, look, man's job was to get us between the ape and the Ubermensch. Like man is the tightrope between that. And, you know, the age that we're at, and in, this is, again, like this will bring chills down your spine, is like he foresaw the capacity of technological, uh, you know, advancement uh -huh. and said that, like, th this is the end of man, this is the end of humanity. And I'm not talking about some cheap transhumanism bullshit. I'm talking mm -hmm. about, like, we, we will be able to do, like, the kind of humans that will come two, three, four hundred years from now, like, are going to be different to mm -hmm. what we are today, bro. And, and he saw that. And... Anyway, that's like well, that's rabbit hole. Fucking excellent, actually. And I would say very consistent with what we observe in our historical pro progression thus far, right? We are different than humans, maybe not 500 years ago as much, but you go back 5,000 years, 10,000 years, we're so much different, right? We have different software, different moral intuitions, uh, obviously longer lifespans, you know, we, we've, we've modified ourselves technologically, especially when you 
widen the meaning of technology to include things like language and, and moral software and you know, ethics, systems of law, all of these things. Um, so it would stand to reason that we would continue that that line of progression into the future. Um, I wanted to hit on something you said too, though. We're talking about dating. This just so thoroughly, the idea of equality of outcome is completely exploded when you view it through the lens of dating. Cause like nobody wants to date or thinks everyone should date like a quality of outcome. Everyone should just date the average. Like that doesn't make any sense at all, actually. Um, You know, every woman basically wants a guy that's richer, more powerful, more generous, more productive, you know, able to provide more security, whatever the, the dimension is. And every man wants a woman that's hotter, basically. Uh, more nurturing, you know, more more of a homemaker, et cetera, more supportive, more loving. You would ne- you would never settle for less than the best you could get along those lines. Um, so how could you ever preach a quality of outcome? I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. Yeah. It's not yeah, compute. Yeah. Um so okay, on that note, I'll go back to another excerpt here that you wrote. And I'm a little bit way a ways into the power and energy section now, or power and energy section now. You write, quote, picking up a 10-pound barbell doesn't make you strong, but standing under 500 pounds, squatting down and raising it back up does. Climbing three steps doesn't make you strong, but hiking a 10,000-foot mountain does. It's not the exact number that is important. It is the challenge and the burden you carry. To get better, to get stronger, you don't contend or compete with less than you are. A strong man doesn't go into a ring and beat up a small kid or a woman to prove himself. He doesn't ask for his opponent to have his hands tied behind his back. He seeks out a fair fight with someone as good or better. This is why responsible men are the strongest men. You carry your responsibility, and the amount you can carry is the true determinant of strength. A man who is responsible for his territory, a father who bears the responsibility for his family, who runs a company, and thus bears responsibility for his employees, who is mentor to the young men of his community and is thus responsible for the development of their character. This man is strong. This man is powerful. Um. I'm wondering here if you could elaborate a bit on the relationship between strength and power and responsibility. Um, Because responsibility is another one of those words, tricky word. We typically think responsibility means obligation, right? I'm responsible to do A, B, and C. But there's that other sense of the word where it is the ability to respond right? That you're actually in touch with reality in a way that when it, when you get feedback, um, first of all, you can sense the feedback. And second of all, you have some capability to respond to it adequately. Um, so I'm wondering, I would love to hear your thoughts on the connection between power and strength and responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I, um, Last year or the year before, I wrote a piece called uh, Responsibility Go Up Technology. And I was it was kind of like a play on, you know, the number go up technology. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, 
Bitcoin is responsibility money. Everyone runs around and they talk about um, freedom, 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 freedom. You know, we're all freedom maximalists, and I get that. Mm -hmm. But you can never take like it's very difficult to take away people's freedom overtly. Mm -hmm. What you do is you take away people's responsibility first. Mm. You make them less responsible for things. Mm. And in the process of relinquishing responsibility, you fundamentally relinquish your freedom. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is this is this is the psyop. This is the thing that nobody fucking gets. Like it just flows right past people. Is when you like responsible like the responsibility to carry something, like you know, all, all responsibility is a burden, right? And and this is why you know fundamentally you need a civilization led by men because men are designed, like it's even in our biology, our frame is designed to carry, to bear weight mm -hmm. in a different way than a woman is designed to carry, right? Mm -hmm. And you like men are designed to be responsible. The masculine energy is a energy of responsibility of bearing weight and carrying that weight. And with that capacity, you know, the, the greater your capacity to carry weight, the greater your ability to um, to bear responsibility, the greater your strength. Like that is, you know, when I, and I say it in the essays, like that is the determinant of strength. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the... I, let, let me say this. I... I I said earlier in the essay, and like I've got a very triggering sentence in there, um, which is, I say that most, uh, I'm going to read this piece out. So it says, most people think that Bitcoin's greatest contribution will be to lift the masses up and help the help the weak. Mm -hmm. And I say, while that will likely occur, but not for the reasons you think it will, it is my unpopular belief that the more important contribution and impact to mankind will be that Bitcoin makes the strongest stronger the best, better, and the most powerful, more powerful. Mm. And I even like, you know, qualify it with the next sentence. I say, I can already feel you squirming as you read that line. <laughs> so please read it again and then allow me to clarify why this is good. And like I chose my words very uh, deliberately there. I said the strongest, stronger, not the strong, stronger, or not the, not the great, better. I said the best, better, mm. the most powerful, more powerful. And my definition of like the strongest or the best, you know, if we break it down to like a narrow uh, example, and we spoke about this earlier, that you know, you put two fighters in a ring, it is generally the strongest or the best or the more powerful, the more skilled or whatever dimension matters, mm -hmm. right, in the fight that is going to come out winning, right? Mm -hmm. And you want that the, the same uh, game or the same uh, function in the micro, you want in the macro. Mm -hmm. uh, and my whole argument for Bitcoin's great impact to civilization is that it will make it so that those who are the best and are the strongest, and remember, strongest is your capacity to carry responsibility. Mm -hmm. Those are the types that will have the opportunity to get stronger, because how do you get stronger? Adversity. You put exactly you you go to the fucking gym and you lift more weight. Mm -hmm. You take on more things. Like you want to get mm -hmm. better at business, you take on more responsibility. Mm -hmm. You 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 grow the organization. Mm -hmm. You want to get better with you know your relationship. Mm -hmm. You take on more responsibility. You mm -hmm. like it is the the same lesson across the board. And I believe Bitcoin, you know, because of its capacity to localize 
economic consequence, which is related to the consequence of action, mm-hmm. it creates a an environment, mm. a framework for greater responsibility, and therefore makes the strongest stronger, the best better, and the more, most powerful more powerful. That's the that's the that's the logic there, and mm. you know, in in many ways, it triggers people. But like when you start to inquire on this, you start to realize like. There's no way around it. I've got you know a formula in the in the um in the article here. So I say the formula is simple: strong individuals equal a strong society. Weak individuals equal a weak society. You you cannot optimize for weakness, right? And expect to have a strong society. It just doesn't work like that, right? And 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 in fact, it's just it's it's so um, I don't want to say poetic. It's the wrong word, but it's kind of like uh, you know, it's ironic. That when you do optimize society for the weak, yeah, you actually devolve things, and then you make it bad for those who are weak. That's right. Because you That's know, right. like basically everybody drowns. Yes. Whereas if you optimize for excellence, you yes. raise everything else up. Yes. And it's such a like, and and this is like the, the one final point I'll say here is, like, and I learned this one from Tony Robbins, is that. Life is brutal in the sense that you either have growth, you are either growing or you're dying. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground. There's no stasis. There's no point of rest. Like life and existence doesn't have that. You're either growing mm-hmm. or you're fucking dying. Right. In the same way, life is either going towards excellence or it is going towards debauchery, average, and death. Yeah. It's one of the fucking two. And you can't pick a middle ground. I'm sorry. There's yeah. the fence is too narrow. You're gonna to have to pick a side. And it's up to us. It is, it is, it is, it is our responsibility to decide which way. Yes. It's wonderfully said. I was picking up as you were saying that last point that to optimize a society for weak people actually makes it worse for weak people. 100%. There's a perfect parallel there with Ayn Rand's point on socialism, actually, where she says, when you start to steal from the rich to give to the poor, you're invoking uh, force as the standard by which people deal with one another, right? You have to forcefully steal from the rich and give to the poor. And she says, when force becomes the standard by which men deal with one another, the murderer wins out over the pickpocket and that society vanishes in a spread of ruins and slaughter. So it's like, it's a, it's a perfect parallel to what you just said. It's like, once we start, oh, well, no one be excellent. No one be competent. We all need to be equally weak, right? That's actually creating a world that's worse for the weak because we have, we have less everything, less prosperity, less competence, less problems being solved, et cetera. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess that's counterintuitive in a way, but it's such an important point that people that have this compassion for the weak thinking, oh, let's have a quality of outcome or let's steal tax the rich and give to the poor. It's like you are creating the actual thing that you are scared of or that you want to avoid. You are creating it with that mentality. Um, and I, I just yeah, don't it's... think you can't say that enough, man. That's just so such a pernicious yeah. problem in uh pernicious mind virus among people it is it's it's i think it's the greatest psyop which again we have to attribute the the person who saw that earlier than anybody else again was nietzsche his mm-hmm. whole thing was that is that is the cancer that is the cancer hey western civilization 
fucking here. Yeah. I'm telling you now what's going to happen. And here it is. It's become, it's become so embedded in our psyche. Like just to say equality is bad. You're like, you're a fascist. Like, yes. Right. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's like, a, you know, but when you inquire on it, when you just dig a little bit beneath the surface, you realize, I mean, you know, you've been talking a lot about equality of outcome. I want to even like push the envelope further. Equality of opportunity is just as stupid, like, because you can't have equality of opportunity. It's a fantasy. Like equality of outcome is like fundamentally evil, but equality of opportunity. Let, let me dig on this. Oh, this is a good point, actually, because I typically think equality I have typically thought of equality as opportunity as fair and fixed rules for everyone to play by. But that, I guess there's more nuance there because equality of opportunity is like, well, you're born in one country versus another country, right? It's, you can't, you can't make that equal, obviously. Correct. The, the only way to get equality of opportunity, if we just nuke the entire fucking world and turn everybody into test tube babies so that we all have the same genetics, the same thinking, the same upbringing, the same everything. You can't. We're born to different parents. We're born to different people. We're born in different right. times. We're born in a different location. We're born with different attributes. We're born with everything is fucking right. different about us. You can't have equality of opportunity for fuck's sake. Right. All you can get is you, you, the, the best you can do in a civilization is create a framework for a game where the best and strongest rise right. up. It literally comes back to what I said. Bitcoin makes the strongest, stronger, the best, better, and the more powerful, most powerful. Yes. That, that's the whole fucking point. You do that, you have the cream rise to the top, and you have a better beverage. You have a better drink. Yes. You have a better society. You have a better civilization. So that's an excellent point. Not only is a quality of outcome obviously just that one's obviously farcical but yes. quality of yes. opportunity as well is bullshit because well guess what people are born richer poorer different places stronger weaker all of these things right you get you get a diversity of of uh birthright basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think the only thing to get hopefully specific enough the only form of equality we should aim for is equality in the eyes of the law or in the eyes of the rules, right? That all people are playing by the same rules. If you have bifurcated rules, rules for me, not for thee, or rules for thee, not for me, then you have corrupt games that degenerate. And, you know, if the game is human civilization, obviously that's a very bad outcome. And this right. is where and Bitcoin shines, right? All people well, are equal in the eyes of Bitcoin. It's just a, a single transparent, unchangeable rule set basically totally and let, let me put the pin on this which is a strong individual is defined by he who doesn't want to win by cheating right yes so if you are a by definition by my definition the article of strong mm -hmm. and powerful you do not go into the ring and create a rule set for your opponent that gives right. you an unfair advantage because you know like i mean you know i use other Confession of weakness. a lot Exactly. Exactly. You are the fucking cheater. You you admit that you can't win because you are fundamentally the fucking loser already. So yep. you have to cheat your way into winning. Like Alexander the Great went and defeated the Persians because they were the greater force. He didn't go and beat up a bunch of fucking kids. That wasn't the point. Yeah. Right. So this is the thing. Like th this is. Yeah, it's so important to get that paradigm shift in people's heads. Mm. Like this is this is the crux of it all. One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. 
When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com slash breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com slash breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a crowdfunding platform for paying medical expenses in lieu of an insurance policy. CrowdHealth recently announced that it is integrating Lightning payments with Breeze's Lightning SDK. In the United States, we spend more than twice the average amount of money on healthcare than other developed nations. Medical costs are one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in the United States, and it is not a secret that the medical system in the U.S. has many, many issues. The CrowdHealth model is based on offering an alternative to the conventional insurance policy at a cheaper price point. For a monthly membership fee of $50, CrowdHealth will negotiate medical bills to get the cheapest price possible, help locate healthcare providers, offer access to their member crowdfunding service, and more. Prior to the Breeze integration, CrowdHealth had been functioning over traditional fiat payment routes, which introduced unnecessary transaction fees and delays in settlement. By integrating Lightning payments into the CrowdHealth business model, payments between members can now be made with near-zero fees and with final settlement occurring in mere seconds. So go to joincrowdhealth.com breedlove today to sign up. I want to go back to what you said to you uh, from your piece that people would likely be triggered when you say Bitcoin makes the most powerful, more powerful. I think the triggering would be because when you say the most powerful, the images that's coming to mind is the Klaus Schwab, the Bill Gates, the whatever, right? But you're not saying that. You're saying the people that are most competent and capable in their domain, right? The best entrepreneur, the best athlete, the best homemaker, whatever, they become more powerful in their domain because now they Correct. can control the fruits of their labor, something like that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, and this, to speak to this relationship between freedom and responsibility, I, I picked up this quote recently. I think it's Bob Dylan. A hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with his freedom. Right. That you, Beautiful. they are inseparable. You can't yes. have two sides of the same coin, something like that. Again, if you look at responsibility as an ability to respond, all that has to do with the options at your disposal, right? Which is exactly, which is freedom. Exactly. Yeah. So if we, if, and to your point, hard to take away people's freedoms overtly, but much easier to take away their responsibilities because that can be sort of pain relieving at first, mm-hmm. right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, don't worry about physical yeah. security. Give up your guns. Yeah, we'll take care of your health. We have a strong military. Yeah, yeah, yeah free yeah. health care, free whatever. Uh, but that is to take away their freedoms. Basically, it's like a backdoor theft of freedom. Um, thought that was a really good point. Okay, I want to read another excerpt here. I'm going a little further down in the same section, and now you're you're getting into some etymology here and some words that we should take back. And I think this is just a, a great, just some great perspective here. You write, quote, to get to a better place, we must be better. 
which means we must reward better. To make the world exceptional and excellent, we must be exceptional and excellent. We must, in fact, be elite. We must take this and other keywords back. The word elite comes from the Latin word elitas, which means choice or selected. The Proto-Indo-European root of the word elite is leg, which means to collect or to gather. To be elite is to be the selected, which means the best. To be distinguished and to be outstanding. In short, to be excellent. The word aristocrat originates from the Greek words aristos, meaning best, and kratos, meaning rule or power. Therefore, etymologically, the term aristocrat essentially means rule by the best. In ancient Greek society, aristocracy originally referred to a form of governance where the most virtuous, skilled, or noble individuals would rule. The concept was closely tied to the idea that these individuals possessed certain superior qualities, whether in wisdom, bravery, or moral virtue, that made them the most fit to govern. Over time, however, the term has taken on other, less noble, and guilt-laden connotations, which we must shed. Man, so much good good point. Like, we've made these all dirty words. Elite, mm -hmm. aristocrat. Um, nobility. They, yeah, nobility. Like, these things, they're so important, right? If we're going to... If we're going to admit that we're hierarchical animals, we have, someone has to be at the top of that damn thing. Well, you want the people that are most fit in whatever domain to be at the top so that those that are below them can imitate the qualities that provide the most utility or goodness in the world. And if you do it any other way, you've got a suboptimal outcome. I don't see any way around that, right? So again, it's back to this whole, why does that feel like it's, we're saying something bad here? I guess it's because <laughs> right. we've been poisoned so by this whole equality of outcome and opportunity thing. It really is. It really is. It's it's just, as you just said, like, you know, you're, you're waiting for like somebody to like come out of the woodwork and just like say, you know, you fucking supremacist yeah. or something yes. like that. I mean, yeah. even like, look at this, even the word superior and inferior, you say that. Mm -hmm. Right. And someone's like, oh, you know, what are you, a supremacist or something? Well, like, let's think about what these things mean. To, to be superior implies that you have uh, some sort of elevation in the hierarchy. And um, inferior means, you know, you're lower in the hierarchy. But people have conflated inferior with something to do with, like, being treated badly. Now, let, let me ask you. A child is fundamentally inferior to their parents, right? Like the parent yes. is fucking superior. Right. But does that imply the parent treats the child poorly? No. No. Like that that that's not what superiority no. and inferiority mean. Like but right. see we've we've like because we've got this like we've we've developed this guilt and contempt almost like this this unconscious trigger towards authority and hierarchy that anything that implies etymologically speaking authority or hierarchy we have an allergic reaction to yeah oh so people what are you superior you know right. what are you saying i'm inferior it's like right. well obviously like the ceo is superior to his you know right. to his management team who are superior to the other employees like that's how it happens like, yes. you can't have that and you, it doesn't not have that it doesn't have to be taken so personally either right yeah. it's not like yeah. 
okay, the CEO is superior to the employee in the context of that corporate hierarchy. It doesn't mean he's superior in every way to the, the subordinate, right? I've been listening to this book, Relentless, which is really interesting. It's uh it's by the one of I think it was Michael Jordan's trainer, basically. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so he was making the point that when Michael Jordan was on, you know, was playing for the Bulls, he was so, he pushed those players so hard. Like he was constantly saying, get on my level. He would like jump down their throat, any mistake they would make, say, get on my level. And he was talking about how these players like really stepped up their game and played, you know, it was the Michael Jordan Bulls. They're like the best team that ever played. And then when when Jordan retired, that all these players started to fall off. Like other teams would pay big dollar amounts to trade for them and they would get this guy on their team. But without Jordan, like the excellence of Jordan basically uh, incentivizing or inducing them to excel at the game, they fell off. And so it's not like, and that doesn't mean Jordan is superior to these guys in every dimension of life, but on the basketball court, he is by definition superior to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not bad, right? That's just acknowledging someone's competence in a specific domain and uh, organizing a team around that competence, right? And we would want to do that in every every area, right? Markets, corporations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's calling two plus two, four, right? That's yes. literally right. As, as simple as it is. And it's, um, and, you know, the, the, an, an individual who aspires towards uh, excellence and, you know, wants to organize people, organize themselves, understands that, like, you know, I, I mean, I've been running businesses for 15 years. I have no illusion that I am in any way superior to my engineers when it comes to writing code. Exactly. I'm useless. I exactly. can't write a piece of code. Exactly. But I have people who are superior to me in that capacity. Mm-hmm. And we come together and they know that I'm superior to them when it comes to organizing people, raising capital. Mm-hmm you know, running people toward a vision, right? Mm-hmm. There, there, there are there are dimensions, as you said. And you know, the the one final note is you mentioned the Chicago Bulls example. Like I think back to Alexander the Great. Like he was surrounded by fundamentally excellent, some of the best generals in in the history of mankind. And after his death, Macedonia lasted 150, 200 years because they devolved into bickering and infighting and intrigue and everything like that. And you know, the the empire, the greatest empire at that time crumbled because there wasn't this lightning rod the michael jordan the alexander the great in the the center of it which ties back to what we discussed earlier about the great man theory of history like there there are these individuals who who channel a disproportionate amount of life force they have a greater will to power and they become the lightning rod around which everything orients Um, and these people you need in civilization because they they create Almost like a, they're like a, they're like a magnet, or they're the ultimate beacon in terms of you know you said we uh, emulate, mm-hmm. yes. you know, that they are the ultimate uh, emulation, right? And Christ was that as well, right? He yes. was the ultimate uh, yes. emulation of that. No, and um, and yeah, so good. I was again the um, been doing that maps of meaning series and talk about the Mesopotamian creation myth. We t- we've talked a lot about imitation and the importance of cultural uh, and knowledge transmission, but it's not just living people imitating living people. There was also the emperor of Mesopotamia was imitating Marduk, which was like the mythological deity. 
he was supposed to imitate the qualities of this guy. And he was judged at the end of every year. They would like, they had this whole ritual, like how closely did you embody the, the teachings and principles of Marduk this year as you governed the populace and the populace would judge him based on that. So it's, um, yeah, just really fascinating stuff, man. That, um, what do we say? It's just like, this is almost one of the human superpowers is imitation. Mm -hmm. And if we don't optimize for excellence and structures in which excellence can be imitated and emulated, Mm -hmm. then we do ourselves a disservice basically. Um, okay. I want to read another excerpt here. We're getting close to the bottom. You wrote that the truth is power is a measure of the rate at which work is done or energy is transferred. Power is the capacity to channel energy. Power is vitality and youth. What does this have to do with evil? This is life force for God's sake. What's evil is to be against life. What's evil is to convince everyone that the life force inside of you, that your will to power is wrong. Reject this. It's not power, but those, it's not power itself, but those who wield it. It's not that power corrupts, but that the corrupt can attain power. This is the paradigmatic mental shift you must make. So this one really got me thinking um, because there's a quote by Plato who said that the measure of a man is what he does with power. Yeah. And so, again, a very fundamental idea of what makes someone virtuous or good or, or worthy, something like that. And all right, this is just me like thinking, I don't even know if this is a well-structured thought, but I wanted to share it with you. Hit me. It seems like the, the magnitude of power that an individual can wield is somehow proportionate to their moral integrity. And this might be in the same way that uh, the weight a beam can bear is proportionate to its structural integrity, right? Like the strength of the bonds within the material, let it bear more weight. The strength of the, the, the strength that the individual is bound to their principles is how much power they can bear, right? It's, they're not going to be corrupted by the power. Um, and so the individual that's devoutly bonded to their principles has greater moral integrity than one who is not, right? This would be like a philosopher king is stronger than a fiat politician. In the same way that a substance which has stronger molecular bonds is better than one that has weaker molecular bonds. So steel being stronger than iron, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's riff on that. Let's riff on that. So, And so I guess the, the, what am I saying here? So there's that kind of the framing. And then the question would be, if we're bonding people more tightly to the products of their efforts, which is to say, giving them stronger private property. And what, what does Rand say about this? That the only, and we've talked about this too. I think I inspired by you. I thought the only human right was choice. And I, maybe it still is. I'm not sure, but Rand says the only human right is the right to life. And their, their only proper implementation is property rights because property rights are the means to life. And the man who cannot sustain his own life by his own effort is a slave, basically something like that. 
So if Bitcoin gives us stronger private property rights, it's bonding us more tightly with the products of our effort. Is it is that how Bitcoin is somehow leading people to develop stronger moral integrity? And maybe this whole thing is a restatement of the lowering of time preference. Um, it's it's re- yeah, it's related for sure. It's related for sure. I just as you were describing the um the integrity of the you know the beam or the material right and like if 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 you look at like you know the the strongest substance on earth i think is uh is glass i believe um but glass has imperfections which is why it breaks right mm. so so glass is so i'm i'm thinking back to my materials engineering years um but uh you know, th- there's there's something to do with the the molecular alignment, right? Of um of the atoms and everything, and you know when you when you have close to perfect uh, alignment, and I'm I'm really paraphrasing here, man. It's been 15 years since I did materials mm-hmm. engineering, so for whoever's listening out there, give me a break. But th- there's something to do with that, right? Remember at the beginning we talked about drives. Human beings are made up of drives, mm-hmm. right? He with the greatest will to power is the one who can align all of those drives in such a way that they can channel the greatest amount of power right Mm -hmm. like there's there seems to be a parallel there as you were describing that's sort of what i was like Mm -hmm. uh envisioning and you know fundamentally is if you look at the you know back to our definition of you know what a powerful individual is what a strong individual is he who can bear responsibility he who can channel energy he who can be vital he who can reach the ends of the world like you know i i use alexander the great a lot as an example because like i i don't think people realize like what it would have taken for a 20 year old kid essentially to lead a small group of men um across deserts and mountains and rivers and snow and fucking you name it for 12 or 13 years straight never lose a battle, blood and guts and spit and shit and fucking you name it, like arrows through the lungs and everything. And I I mean, like climbing in the middle of winter over the Hindu Kush, like something people don't do today with like all of the technology and shit that we have, but with like armor and skins and like sandals, (laughs) like it's just... It's fucking mind-boggling to reach the very ends of the earth, like tens of thousands of miles in between fighting and everything. Like it's just a different level of human, a different level of energy, a different level of power, like something that and and you know, Alexander wasn't driven by, okay, I want the money. Like he gave away the, the day before they left Macedonia, he gave away all of his property mm. to his generals, to everybody else. And the entire time, like he would sleep on the floor like the soldiers he didn't have a fucking royal tent Mm. anytime he could have got a you know any woman whatever he chose to abstain because he wanted to channel that energy internally because his number one drive was to reach where no man on earth had reached that was the thing that was the entire goal of this thing and you know when you know when an individual like that has power you you know you you transform civilization and the the goal of that individual so you know was not to attain the power for the sake of the power mm-hmm. but was to channel the power to the end of reaching mm-hmm. you know what was the equivalent of the stars back then right? right so these days we have rockets but back then like the the end of the world was right 
the water, right? Right. So so he 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 the the, the power had a purpose. Whereas you look at the kind of people like the Christine Lagarde's and the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the, the end goal is the power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and you know the using a, a means for an end kind of thing. Correct. You know, there's something there, right? And this is this is what the Bolsheviks, you know, were were an example of. Like they saw the royal family, the Russian royal family, like, oh, it's the power. You know, that's what so the, so they when they killed them all off, and in the process, they got a taste of power, and they're like, this fucking tastes good. And they they literally like you just saw the ugliness in these kind of people, and the ugliness that came after it was this this like attempt to like just hold on to power for all fucking power's sake, mm. not to channel the power to build greater civilization, right? Like it's a very different energy. So to 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 your point about like um you know Plato's definition of like the great man is you know the 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 greatness or the measure of a man is that you know what they do with power. Mm. You know, if 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 the if yeah anyway I, I just want to I'll stop there on that point. Um, I don't know if you have any to anything no, to think riff on I, that, but I, then... I really I like the what is this like power without purpose mm-hmm, somehow mm-hmm. degenerates. You know, if it, like if it's power for power's sake, that's no bueno, right? You're going to get corruption and degeneration and all of this because, as you said earlier, power is the mean. It is a primordial or essential means for life right there is no life without the movement of energy across time so unchanneled power is lifeless right if it's if you're just trying to accumulate power for power's sake well it's somewhat obvious from a physics perspective that that thing's going to degenerate right it's just not going to work um and stale yeah yeah stagnant right stagnant mm-hmm, or something stagnant. like that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. um and i guess the other thing that yeah we, so alexander was so tightly bonded to his vision mm-hmm. right that exploratory impulse to reach the stars basically for him that he everything went by the wayside right his wealth his sexual gratification whatever he was just and that's what again it was that that's an integrity, right? That's a very, it's a, a, an amazing exhibition of integrity that you're so tightly bonded to this vision that you'll literally sacrifice anything to attain it. And, um, I don't know. It just seems like this idea of integrity, you know, people being bonded to a future vision that you enable that type of integrity. People, setting creating a vision for the future and then actually taking actions based on that vision for the future which is another way of saying people are more tightly bound to the future vision for themselves to the extent maybe not to the extent but a contributing factor to that is how much of their uh, the fruits of their labor they can preserve across time how tightly can you preserve the fruits of your labor to yourself across time which again, this is the time preference thing. It lets you engage with a, a deeper future version of yourself, something like that. And then there's the other, we're always talking about private property rights, but these are also responsibilities, right? The more <laughs> purchasing power you can carry across time, well, you are responsible for taking care of that. And along with any of the other assets that you gather, you know, uh, in the scope of your own property, you have to take care of them. Otherwise you don't get to enjoy the features of those assets. So 
I don't know, all these things seem seem mixed together in a really important way, like integrity, responsibility, rights, power, yeah. vision, et cetera. They are all interrelated. Like I, I think, you know, as you're describing that, I thought of like uh self-ownership and agency, right? And I think the the difference between the the master and the slave essentially and you know Nietzsche would have argued this is this idea of agency is mm -hmm. the master was one who owned himself whereas the slave was owned by somebody else mm -hmm. and you know th this is like the these people who were you know who are the greats who are the 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 archetypes of the channelers of vitality and power and all of this uh, energy is they had or have the capacity to have a high degree of self-ownership mm -hmm. but self-ownership implies the responsibility to carry oneself yes. right which is you know you can't you can't escape that right. and um and yet to to the degree that bitcoin gives you ownership over your uh over your measurable capital wealth um, is the degree that it gives you responsibility over it, uh, is the degree that it gives you power over it, mm -hmm. um, and is once again tied into it. And then from a um, structural, societal, social viewpoint, it makes it so that civilization is more uh, optimized for that type of um, behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And when you have more of that type type of behavior on net, you are more inclined to tilt civilization towards excellence and reaching for the stars than to tilt it towards, and, and it's not even tilting it towards average. You, 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 can't, you can't tilt it towards average without tilting it towards death and decay. Right. Like that's the problem. Exactly. And that's what the, the equalitarians right. don't get. It's like, oh yeah, but can't we just have, can't we just like, just, be all equal and nice. It's like no. As soon as you tip it that way, mm -hmm. then you know the 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 first stop might be you know a bit of average and a bit of equality, mm -hmm. but you know the next stop is yeah. is death, and it's very hard to reverse that. Yeah, it's a trajectory, and the trajectory has inertia. Yeah, and if you tilt it downward, well, you're setting yourself up for a, a vicious cycle of some kind. Um, and obviously, we'd prefer the virtuous cycle to keep carrying us upward. Um, man, so interesting stuff. Uh, okay. I want to read one last excerpt and this is the closing part of your written work, which again, titled Uber money, you write Bitcoin aligns us toward excellence because it puts a real and accurate price on time and energy. Like life itself, it is unforgiving. There is no rewind button. Those who waste and squander it must pay a real price for doing so. Those who save, invest, and deploy it along with their time and energy will reap the rewards, notwithstanding luck as the one factor we cannot account for. It has always and it has and always will be the great men of energy who change the course of history. Alexander, Caesars, Christ, Newton, Tesla, Jobs, and most recently, Satoshi. Now, with the dawn of a new age, what will you do? What seeds will you plant? What foundations will you establish? How will you show up? Who will you raise that might change the course of history and drive humanity to a higher energetic standard? Bitcoin is energy bunny, not only because it's, because it's in some ways alive, but because it encourages a life-affirming approach to living. 
This is the same reason why I like to think of it as Uber money. Bitcoin is a framework for excellence and excellence is the soil from which the Ubermensch shall spring. Uh, phenomenal close. Um, I think a very serious call to action for Bitcoiners, very inspirational for Bitcoiners, right? The sort of step into their, their role in history. Like I mm -hmm. like to say that history is a live event. Like you, you need to participate. It's not just some static structure that we can observe in retrospect. Like you are an active participant in this process. Um, and yeah, I get the one thing, this is just sort of a side point, but I thought it was interesting how you did mention luck here. Yeah. Because there is always this element. And this, I guess, it gives life all of its, uh, I don't know, sweetness, but also its terrifying nature. There's always this aspect of irreducible uncertainty <laughs> to everything that we do. But that's why excellence and imitation and hierarchical structuring that's why these things are so important because we're always going to be contending with this unknowable future and sure we might get lucky sometimes but we're also going to get unlucky sometimes so the best thing we can do to deal with that is organize ourselves in a way that's centered on excellence and quality and virtue and all of these things we've talked about totally yeah the the, the luck one i think about often actually i was um it, it to me it's almost like related to just the the very uncanniness of like life existing at all like why we're here like in consciousness and like that we're alive and agency and like you know like may, maybe luck is another word almost for god or something like that or mm -hmm. you know something it's like the it's you know you you've called it uh, in the past i think you know you say the word ineffable a lot like that mm -hmm. that's what luck is it's this thing you can't define it. And this is why I fundamentally don't believe in things like, you know, like the computational path to artificial intelligence, because like luck is not factored in. There's, there's just, there's a, there's a, a there's an irreducible component that we just don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. And, you know, th this is why the communism will never work. This is why all of these sorts of systems that try and yes. like overly control anything, they just can't because at the very least, like you could have this perfect system. It reminds me of the matrix, you know, remember the mm. architect, like here he talks about, like we designed the perfect system, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then something's still fucked up. It's like, yes. what the fuck is wrong with you humans? And it's like, well, you know, the answer is humans are alive. Yes. The anomaly, right? Remember, you know, Neo was yeah. the anomaly. Yeah. Like the anomaly is luck. And, you know, I think about that often. It's, you know, it's the thing you can't get rid of. So all, all you can do um, is you know, find the principles that seem to be the most Lindy, seem to be the most functional and seem to be the most life affirming mm -hmm. and live in accordance with those. And then, you know, luck's a bitch, bro. It's going to yeah. happen. And you can't do anything <laughs> about that. So do your best, you know, with what you can. Yeah. It's something like that. The gap between map and territory is the domain yeah, of luck, yeah. you know, and that yeah, gap yeah. always exists. Uh, myth ancient mythology called it like primordial chaos you know it's the dragon whatever but um it's an ever-present reality and i just i think again all of the things you've highlighted here about the uber mensch and what we should strive for 
those are the best qualities we can cultivate in ourselves to deal with that ever-present reality, mm-hmm. um, to make it maybe a little bit less terrifying and and more rewarding, right? It's also where we make discoveries and innovations and all of these other things. It's we go out into that chaos and we figure out something new. And you know what? Just it hit me. Maybe maybe that has some sort of uh, impact on luck. Honestly, mm-hmm. like you know, the, the more you do that. Maybe you you taint luck in your uh, yes. you, you taint luck with what you wrap it with. Maybe. Yes. No, that's a great point. I think what is that old saying? So something like, "Good luck happens when hard work and opportunity cross paths." Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. We yeah. definitely can't. It's something to do with that. Yeah. Definitely can't make it, but we can sort of tilt the scales in our favor a little bit. Um, Alex, man. Like I told you before we started, I think this is your best piece of writing. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, really. Wait, wait till stuff. you see the Bushido of Bitcoin, bro. Honestly, like this is this is just a glimpse. Honestly, like this, the, the, there's eighty thousand words there of what I think is e- even a notch above this. Like it's, I, I'm so proud of that book. I can't wait to release it. It's going to be the best thing I've ever written. I think. Awesome. Very excited for that. Uh, where would you point people to find out more about you or your work? Uh, I would love people if they enjoyed this conversation to go pick up a copy of the sixth edition of the Bitcoin Times. So by the time you release this, um, it should be shipping. Um, it's in the process of being designed right now and we'll go to the printers very shortly. Um, I'll give people a code if they want to save some sats on the purchase. So if they use the code energy, uh, they can pick up a copy on bitcointimes.io, and this is the energy edition in particular. Uh, in fact, if they don't have the previous editions, like the Austrian edition, which had like Goldstein, Pierre, and uh, Seyfedean and people like that, like previous editions have had Alan Farrington and Thomas Strollad and obviously yourself, um, Eric Case, and like all the fucking who's who. It's invitation only. Six essays per year, one edition per year, and they get printed as a collectible, 2,100 of each. Um, if they want to, yeah, if they want to support this work and have a read of this in physical form, it's at bitcointimes.io and they can pick it up there. Otherwise, I guess the best place to follow me is on Twitter, Svetsky writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, or if they look up svetsky.info, S-V-E-T-S-K-I.info, uh, all of my links are there. And I've just, and I've put this essay at the top just so people can, uh, get easy access to it. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. And again, Thank great you, work. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this conversation, man. I think this was actually our best recording so far. So likewise, really enjoyable. excited yeah. to release it and good to see Thanks, you again. Man. You too, brother. Thank you.